Costas, thank you so much for being on the Stepsero podcast. For the people listening, you have over 30 years of senior level executive experience across different industries. And you are currently the founder of the Intune Executive Coaching. Costas, thank you so much for making the time for this. Not at all, Matteo. It's great to speak to you and thank you for aging me immediately. Over 30 <laughs> years of experience, that sounds very old to me, but uh, hopefully I'm putting it to good use finally. Or experienced. <laughs> exactly. Um, before hitting the record button, we discussed a couple of things around what would be interesting for the audience. And obviously, you are now in this coaching adventure. You come from, again, like a, a very extensive background. May I ask you, how do you see your coaching or in general coaching activity benefiting leaders' mental well-being and I guess, indirectly, um, their companies or their teams, their whole organization? Uh, thanks, Matteo. That's a really good question. Uh, I think, as uh, we've alluded to, I've had a career across law, across finance, private equity, venture capital, investing. I've been involved in some startups, both on the board and as an advisor. And I guess the, the broad sort of response is that many of those environments are pretty stressful environments uh, where there's a lot of intensity, a lot of uh, time pressure, a lot of high expectation, and those by themselves, right, lend themselves to a lot of uh, stressful situations, especially if you're a young professional or a young executive trying to manage not only uh, your own well-being, but uh, managing those around you. So I guess after those 30 years, I, I reflected on the common theme, and the common theme was kind of building trust and trusted relationships around you, not only to help other people, but actually helping yourself. And we're going to talk about mentoring and coaching, I know, uh, in this conversation. So I guess the, 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 the high-level takeaway is that I have lived through myself and seen others in these highly charged environments. And I have seen sometimes the downside uh, that that creates in terms of their own mental well-being. So I guess the environment you're in would always be stressful to some degree. And finding tools and techniques that allow you to alleviate that stress or address it uh, I think is pretty critical. And we all do it relatively haphazardly. We're either lucky enough that we have a great boss or a great mentor, uh, or we have friends and family and others, right, who support us outside that environment. Uh, what I've discovered now with my coaching hat on, and I've, I found it in tune three years ago now, and I coach a range of professionals, a range of executives, a range of entrepreneurs, is actually you can learn a series of sort of tools, frameworks that you, help you right, to proactively manage your own, your own well-being in a way that, frankly, I wish I had known uh, 10, 15 years ago uh, myself when I was, uh, you know, involved in these environments. That makes a lot of sense. And you, you had me thinking, we are sometimes, as employees, as, as colleagues, let's say, quite quick at judging leaders. We, we tend to say, um, People don't leave companies, they leave leaders, or this lead is maybe not a good communicator. They don't understand the value of their team. They don't bring enough impact. Do you think that this actually comes down to a coaching issue? Such an insightful observation. Uh, honestly, I commend you for it because actually leadership is a very lonely business, right? By definition, if you're a leader, you're either at the top of a pyramid or towards the top of a pyramid. And therefore, you have less and less people who you can share your vulnerabilities, your concerns with. 
in order to kind of manage yourself proactively to be better at the things that perhaps are blind spots. So absolutely, uh, you know, there are leadership and development programs that are internal. They tend to focus, I don't like the word hard and soft skills, but they tend to focus on technical knowledge-based skills. But very little is done within organizations actually to teach people the behavioral skills that allow them to build trust, form alliances, collaborate, and create thinking environments, which is at the core of what I coach. Environments in which people feel comfortable sharing their views without fear of uh, retribution or being undermined in their career journeys. So uh, I think it's a really interesting observation that I think we are, all of us, myself included, probably unfair to our former leaders or current leaders, but they themselves have not been given the tools often by their own organizations uh, to learn these behavioral skills that often they're expected to have when they become leaders uh, or senior, you know, you know, owners of teams or managers of different elements within organizations, uh, which their former skill set, which is more technical and knowledge-based, got them to. Uh, but now they found themselves in positions of leadership without the uh, more behavioral-focused uh, frameworks that help them manage people more effectively. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and and among other things, we we also discussed the difference between effective coaching versus remedial coaching, right? Like, so the, the way I see it is we tend to coach in bad times or when we spot an issue, but we don't really do what's probably as effective or more effective, which is coach when things are good so that you're prepared for the worst or for, you know, for whatever it is to come. Um, does this make any sense to you? Can you maybe elaborate on this? Yeah, no, it's a really good juxtaposition. I would uh, tweak it slightly in this way. Uh, for me, remedial, the reason I like that phrase for some of the coaching I have seen, particularly in financial service firms, is that it implies, and is often the case, that it is imposed on senior leaders. The organization says, you need coaching, right? Um, and it's often imposed on senior leaders who are very good at generating revenue but have such bad interpersonal and leadership skills that they create a lot of attrition, right, within their own organizations. People leave, people resign, and so they lose a lot of good quality people because of their behavioral issues. Um, so remedial is often uh, a box-ticking exercise for me for organizations who want to present themselves as caring to fix a senior leader who generates revenues but actually often leads to those senior people being terminated because six months won't fix yeah, a person who feels that coaching has been imposed on them, uh, but does not feel it's being offered to them in order for them to be even better at what they do. So I'm definitely an aspirational coach. The most enlightened organizations and the ones who I'm already delighted and humbled uh, I have as clients are the ones who are enlightened enough to offer coaching, not to impose it, to their best leaders, to their next generation of leaders, to the very people you described who are doing very well. They're not in bad times, but actually should be armed to be even better, exactly for some of the reasons you, you mentioned. There will always be downsides. There will always be challenges. There will always be difficult counterparties, right? You have to manage all those things effectively. So the enlightened organizations, the enlightened leaders, that I've had the privilege already to coach, and there are many others out there, don't get me wrong, but the people who realize that coaching is there not to remedy, actually, but to strengthen even further. And when 
those people are offered the chance to self-improve, they take it with both hands and frankly, they own it as a badge of honor. Um, and this is where actually there is a geographical difference. We talked about it a little bit. You know, in the United States, senior leaders are very comfortable and confident in telling you they have a coach because they, like all the great athletes in the world across sports and other disciplines, are proud to say, I'm great, but I have a coach to make me even better. Um, and, and I think in Europe, we're a little bit behind in that mindset in terms of the stigma is, oh, it's remedial. Yeah, I'm being fixed, right, rather than. I've been offered the opportunity and really it's an, it's a, it's a gift. It's, it's, it's a perk. It's a real perk. If an organization says to the next generation of leaders, we're going to offer you coaching so you can continue to excel and join the even higher ranks of your organization and be effective when you do so. Thank you for your answer. And this actually opened a whole new perspective to me, at least on coaching. As you were speaking, I, I was taking notes and I was thinking, well, it definitely sounds like a tough job if coaching has to come across as offered rather than imposed in order to be effective. And and I love the example about, you know, six months won't fix you if, if this is something that, that came from above and is just forced upon you. And on top of that, you also want to make sure that you somehow balance these two buckets between um, what you described as a technical bucket and a behavioral bucket. And this is definitely a tough job that you're doing, Costas. Yeah, it is, but it's the most rewarding job I've ever done. And again, uh, I say this to, to my clients and I mean it. The coach should be as uncomfortable as the client in this journey. Because my, my role is to be a, an equal partner and with non-directive questioning, help my clients find their own best answers. And if I'm struggling to ask the right questions, to get them to find their own best answers, I should be feeling uncomfortable in that journey too. Because the, the joint enterprise is helping clients find their even greater excellence. And that doesn't happen just by chatting, right? That happens by listening intently, by trying to ask incisive, sometimes provocative questions that further their thinking. And so, yes, it's absolutely exhausting, and it should be, listening intently to people and trying to ask questions, not because I'm curious, but because I believe those questions will, will unlock new thinking within them. And often it's simple things, Matteo, after the event, things like making limiting assumptions. Sometimes a simple question like, well, who could you ask? Well, I couldn't ask A or B because A or B may think I'm weak or foolish or naive or, yeah? Well, if they didn't think that, who would you ask? What could you ask of them? So suddenly you kind of unlock the possibility that before uh, the question was asked of them, outside of their reporting structure, in a safe environment by somebody who's not part of their organization, as soon as you say, well, what if you didn't think that about those people and you could ask them something, what would you ask them? Oh, well, then I would do the following. So people realize through challenge that we all make limiting assumptions of our own abilities to make change because we're concerned or worried that the other person, the other team, the other organization will react in a, in a given way. Well, what if they would not do so? What would you do then? Ah, let's think about that. So that's where it's exhausting but exhilarating 
and incredibly rewarding. Makes a lot of sense to me also because sometimes it might make sense to look for somebody outside of your organization exactly because of this reason. Not all of us, not everyone is so lucky to have their own coach, their own mentor within their team or within their company. Um, there's also some barriers and biases involved, as you perfectly described. So looking for somebody external who maybe has even a deeper understanding than you think in your technical bucket, that obviously makes a lot of sense. And and this opens for my next question, which is, what should somebody look for in a good coach, a good mentor? You've partly told me, of course, there's a component of a, of a coach being able to look and feel comfortable and, and asking the right questions and making you feel comfortable. But let's, let's get a little deeper into that. Yeah, no, uh, I think the, the first answer I would give is until I became a coach, I didn't myself understand the difference between a mentor and a coach. And there is a difference. So let me address that first, if I may. A mentor is somebody we all naturally seek, usually within our employment, but also outside of our employment who is more senior to us, usually, not always, but usually, and they've had experience that you sort of leverage and you say, well, what do you think, Matteo? What do you think, Costas? You've been in these situations before. What do you think? That's what mentors generally do. And sometimes they're outside your organization, but in the same industry, and you find them through networks, and you once in a while, you know, check in with them and say, by the way, I'm dealing with this issue. You know, what do you think, right? So by definition, what you're seeking from them is advice, right? Advice. And that's what a mentor is. A mentor is somebody who has more experience, by definition, more failures. That's what experience is, right? More lessons learned that can share with you their insights and hopefully help you think through your own situation. Coaching is not giving advice. And it's a really difficult construct for, for those who don't understand it to first understand. And I took me a while. <laughs> Coaching is non-directive. My purpose is not to give advice. My purpose is to ask questions that allow my clients to find their own best answers. So I'll leave that for a moment and let me tell you what you should be looking for. In both cases, you should be looking for somebody you can trust. All these relationships are based on trust. You've got to feel comfortable, as you put it, that you are in a safe environment with somebody who you trust not to share the conversation inappropriately with anyone else where you can open up about your own vulnerabilities and concerns and not be judged and not be criticized, not be undermined uh, as a result. And I think you should be seeking them both within your organization and outside your organization uh, in both cases. So people within your team um, can be helpful. People within your organization can be helpful. But again, the downside of that is they're part of your reporting structure, right? They may or may not have an impact directly or indirectly in your career progression. And therefore, you may have some circumspection about how much you share. That's why most of us chat with our friends or with other mentors outside of our job, usually, about some of the issues we're dealing with, right? So I think you should, you should absolutely find them if you can, both within and outside. And as I said to you, coaching, though, is not about advice now. You said something very interesting earlier. Some coaches will have an understanding of your technical, of the technical knowledge within a given uh, role. So I do think the best coaches, and I'd like to think I, I'm, I'm a good coach, 
can also leverage their knowledge base, their technical knowledge base when they coach. But you have to do it in a very disciplined way because in the coaching conversation, your purpose is not to give advice. And the way I capture it, I think that resonates is through Nancy Klein, one of my favorite authors uh, who wrote a book called Time to Think. And she makes a very simple statement, uh, which I've written about. And she says, the mind tends to prefer to think rather than obey. So when you think about that, uh, advice or a mentor is effectively asking you as a, as a client to obey. Let me tell you what you should do, Matteo. You've asked me what I think. Let me tell you, based on my experience, much older than you, I've been around the block, you know, let me tell you what I think you should do. Okay. You may think, well, Costas is, sounds like a sensible guy. He doesn't sound, you know, like somebody I shouldn't listen to. But you know what? He's had a very different journey to mine. He doesn't really understand what resonates for me. He doesn't really have to deal with the characters and the situations and the challenges that I have in my role. So whilst it's interesting and helpful and maybe marginally useful to me, I'm not sure I'm going to follow that advice, right? If a coach, though, asks you questions and you say, I know what I'm going to do, Coptus, I'm going to do the following, and it's come from you, the client, your mind has tended, therefore, to think of the right solution, not to obey. And if you find your own solution, you're more likely to implement it. So the power of coaching is for me to resist if I'm a good coach in giving you advice, but to challenge you to find your own best answers because the person asking themselves the questions about their own journey almost inevitably has the answers within them. And my role as a coach is to help you find them because the best answers are the ones you have for your own situation based on your own ability to think through with help from an indirect questioning coach, think through the options and make decisions on what you will do to make those changes happen. This is so interesting. Thank you for sharing. Is this the way that you establish trust with your coachee? Is this the way meaning being non-directive or being or explaining the difference? Being non-directive. So you making an effort to not give direct advice and make sure that the coachee themselves come up with the solution. I'm basically putting myself in the shoes of somebody who's coached by Costas. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds a lot like, to me, this would work very well. And it is something that would definitely help me place a lot of trust in your methods, your process, and ultimately you as a person. Um, do you reckon that this is something that would normally happen? So your approach in having the coachee come up with a solution, is it directly connected with the two of you building trust? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm really I'm really thinking through the answer because I never thought of it that way. By the way, it's not just my approach. Again, co-active coaching and broad, broad, broader-based coaching is designed and meant to be non-directive. The qualification, though, is really where you I think you were sort of going. I think trust is built in a number of ways. That is one way. It's inevitable, though, that once trust is built, I am often asked, well, what do you think, Costas? And so I do think it's important to, to allow my clients to have a separate space outside of the coaching 
uh, sessions that we have to brainstorm. And a brainstorm, if you think about it, is an exchange of views. Well, what do you think? So in my coaching programs, Matteo, I do have 90-minute coaching sessions where I'm non-directive and I never answer the question, what do you think? But in between, I offer ad hoc brainstorming sessions, sounding board sessions, whatever you want to call them, to senior people who say, you know what? I want to run this idea by somebody who's not part of my organization in a trusted way, and I want to bounce some ideas around. What do you think? What do I think? So there's a space for that. It's got to be outside of the coaching conversation. And I actually think when somebody does want a brainstorming session with me, that's when I really feel I've built trust. Because having resisted answering their questions in the, in the coaching sessions, they've insisted on having access to me to brainstorm as a trusted partner, as an equal, an equal partnership. I'm not the boss. I'm not the, you know, I'm not the leader of this conversation. We're equals. We're outside the organizational structure. And our purpose as grown up, experienced sort of people is to bounce ideas around to help the client find their best answer. And now the other caveat is, I will even then try not to tell them what I think. So even in a brainstorming session, they will say, what do you think? And I try very hard to say, you know what, Sir Matteo, I've seen people do A, I've seen some people do B, some other people do C. So I try to offer them, even then, a suite of options, a suite of choices. And often they'll say, you know what, A is not for me, B I'll think about, but C is probably me. I'm going to do C. Again, as you hear me, you realize they've decided to do C. So they have chosen what's best for them. I've at least helped guide their thinking by offering options from my own experience or from other people I've coached without obviously disclosing confidences. So I think trust is built by absolutely questioning an indirect challenge without judgment. You know, my role is to challenge without judgment, create a safe space. If in that journey that comes across to a client, then trust is built. And then we can delve into some of their opportunities for personal development more deeply. And often that then leads to more ad hoc brainstorming or sounding board sessions, whether it's before a big meeting, whether it's before a big presentation. So they go together. Uh, so I think trust is built, to be honest, by being a direct, uh, hopefully being authentic, but also clearly being non-judgmental and reinforcing and underlining constantly the confidentiality and the safe space that this partnership involves. Thank you, Costas. To be fair, I I wasn't sure where my question would lead, but I'm really happy I asked that question because I loved your answer. And we are somehow approaching to the final stage of the of the conversation. I would speak to you for for a few hours but but we have a specific a lot of time <laughs> um talk to me about in tune why is it called in tune and and what do you plan to achieve if you may share that yeah absolutely uh, it took me a while to come up with a name and i think uh, i think one of my daughters said but those are two words dad not one word in tune but for me being in tune with yourself is the key and it's all about self-awareness and self-management that allows you to build more effective uh, relationships. I used to joke, and I've got to be careful here because if this is heard by my former colleagues, hopefully they'll understand the spirit in which it is said. 
But when I left the large financial services industry, and I was a senior guy in that industry, senior person in that industry, I used to joke that I became tired of dealing with others' egos. Yeah, as a manager, you're dealing with lots of ambitious, capable people who have ambitions and egos of their own. And it's tiring, I found, I used to say, managing those egos. And that's why I had enough of the large uh, universal global investment banking environment. Now that I became a coach, I realized I was it wasn't tiring managing other people's egos. What's challenging and tiring for all of us is managing our own ego. Because you cannot affect how other people behave. What you can affect is how you manage yourself and react to what other people's behavior presents. And if you can be self-aware enough to understand how you're feeling about behavior or situations, manage yourself before reacting inappropriately or unconstructively, and find techniques and opportunities to build trust and collaboration, then actually... Uh, you can make better progress. So for me, the foundation of Inchin was instinctive, but the more I've spent time working with senior leaders, I realized most of this stuff comes down to managing yourself first, being in tune with how you're feeling, and therefore being able more constructively to build uh, relationships of trust and collaboration uh, with other people. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for sharing this. How do people find you? How does one find you? And is it my business to ask what your, if any, ideal, um, let's say, audience is or ideal coachee would be? Uh, that's such a good question. Uh, I have a range, but no, how to find me? I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. I have a website, intune-exec.com. It's funny how you struggle to find the main names that you need in life, but it's close enough intune-exec.com but the ideal there isn't an ideal what i love about what i do is because i've been across a number of industries myself i coach you know from young entrepreneurs young to me to peers of mine who are in professional services whether it's law or banking or private equity or venture capital and i coach everything in between management teams in large organizations uh, management teams owned by uh, private equity or venture capital firms so it's the whole range. Typically, and again, I don't want to, I want to be careful not to be either ageist or inappropriate. Typically, it's most impactful when after sort of 10 plus or minus years of work, people have a, a, a more senior role that involves some broader managerial responsibility. Because that I think is the pivot point in everybody's career where the technical knowledge isn't enough yeah, where you need to learn or be exposed to some of the behavioral stuff that will get you to the next level. So again, that can sometimes happen to a 22-year-old genius. I'm not being ageist about it. I'm just saying it tends to be kind of 10 years broadly into a journey, a career path where I can add the most impact. Uh, but honestly, uh, I've, I've coached a 16-year-old and I've coached somebody older than me. That's all I'll say. I won't age them. <laughs> Costas, the only thing I can say is I'm very grateful for you doing this. I'm very grateful of your time. I obviously wish you the best and I'll be one of those people following the success of Intune in the future. And I hope we can do this at some point again. 
Well, I appreciate the time, Mateo. Thank you for finding me. I love what uh, you do with Step Zero. I think it's a fantastic platform to focus on well-being in the workplace and happy to have this conversation uh, into the future, obviously offline. Uh, but uh, thank you for your time today.